How you doing, Brandon? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fine. Fantastic. Oh, so uh, what's going on down in your neck of the woods? Uh, well, we just finished up a like snowstorm kind of thing the past couple of weeks. It's that kind of weather here in Indiana. Um, but this is kind of an off season for uh, us in terms of our athletics that we work with. So this is usually considered our busy time of the year because can't do stuff outside. So we usually see an uptick in the fall sport athletes that are done. Uh, winter athletes are usually rounding out. So like I know the wrestling state tournaments this weekend. So those guys are getting ready to finish up. And then baseball, softball, track and field are getting ready to start their seasons. Um, so many of our athletes that we've had in the off season are getting ready to start going into preseason mode. So we're just kind of busy in terms of acquiring new athletes and then getting the athletes that we currently have ready. Um, and then we're gearing up for our spring powerlifting meet as well. So this is kind of considered our busy time of the year. Yeah. Uh, everything's kind of packed together. Uh, summer is busy for us, but if you ask me, I just say, I personally think this is our busy time of the year. Summer's mm-hmm. more spread out, so it just doesn't get that vibe that it feels as busy. Yeah. Um, especially from a coaching standpoint. So, um, here's a, a question that I like. I, I'm starting to get into the aspect of helping teen athletes that are in high school sports or like travel ball and things like that. As a coach that's helping high school athletes in the private sector, do you find it useful? Like when like going and watching them either wrestling, playing softball, running track or playing baseball and football? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think one thing it's important is if you get to go watch the kids you actually work with, you can actually see how much they're either playing or what their specific demands are. So mm-hmm. I hate to say that you want to, you know, show favorites or anything, but if this kid's parents are paying you several hundred dollars a month to uh, get better and see an improvement, I think one, watching them actually go do what they do yeah. um, can give you benefits of what they can and can't do uh, on the field or court or swimming pool or what have you. Um, So I think that's really important. I mean, you obviously have like your different tests and you can see what they do in the weight room. But to be honest, most weight room movements don't look all that much like what they actually do in sport. You try to replicate it as much as you can. But I mean, at the end of the day, a lateral line looks good and perfect in the weight room. But when you're working laterally on the field, like it doesn't necessarily look like that. So that gives you some feedback. But then from a private sector too, I mean, at the end of the day, we are a business. We kind of generate money. Uh, me and my wife have to put food on the table. So by showing up and actually genuinely watching the kid and then connecting with their parents, you know, actually sitting by them, talking about them, um, that builds a good relationship. And then yes. also the people there that, you know, have maybe heard about your facility or your coaching or your services and to actually watch you show up and watch kids compete, whether you know them or not, um, also gets a lot of buy-in and credibility. Yeah. And to me, it, it is work if you ask me. Um, but at the same time, like, I think it's, if you're, if you're a real coach and you really genuinely care about your kids, you should be wanting to do that anyways. And yeah. I know this past year from going to watch football with my wife, every single Friday night we were at a football game. And now it wasn't always the same school, but we were traveling around because we had enough kids at enough different schools um, that we got to just go watch football, and that was kind of our date night every Friday night. Not yeah. ideal, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's still time together, and at yes, the same sir. time, we're doing something as we get. Yeah, that's awesome. Like, I totally agree with that because, I mean, fortunately, there's only two different schools the kids are going to around here because I'm from a small town, and there's only like three or four schools that are big enough to have sports. 
So um, two of the kids that I'm I'm helping are from the exact same school, and one other one's he's from uh, a school also local. So going and seeing them and watching them play, it's gonna it's it's not gonna be a big chore. But I I have not had the opportunity to actually watch an athlete that I have coached or am coaching perform on the field before. So I'm excited to actually get that aspect of it because I'm still, I'm still new at this and I'm excited to be able to see if the things that we're doing in the weight room is going to transfer to the field best for that athlete. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I know this COVID obviously threw some stuff at us too last year where they were restricting on who could come watch. And for the most part, it was supposed to be like immediate family, parents, siblings, things like that. So last year we didn't get to go too near as much as what we had hoped. Uh, Spring last year opened up a little bit. Um, But this year, at least where we are, things were pretty much, I don't want to say normal, but they were about as normal to me as they were, uh, especially for outside events and stuff like that. Like we didn't have to like, pre-register for an event or anything like that so it's nice that it's been back to normal for us because for it really stinks for us not being able to go watch the kids do what we do and now that we have enough coaches on our staff that myself and my wife can actually get away and go watch them a little bit more but now we're at the point where we just have so many athletes that i don't want to say we play favorites but we just try to pick you know, the ones that work the best for our schedule, anything yeah. on the weekends usually works well, but the weeknight ones are, are really hard to get. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is some logistical pieces to it. And I think honestly, as long as you try to make good efforts to, to go see kids, I know that we try to double down uh, on some stuff too. We, there's some schools around here that have rivalries. So obviously when they both play together against each other, you know, yeah. we try to go to that. That yeah. way we can kind of get maybe a two for one or three yeah. for one kind of deal. So, yeah. Well, before we get too far into this, um, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, so my name is Brandon Smitley. I'm from Terre Haute, Indiana, which is a little bit west of Indianapolis. Um, anyone that's interested in Larry Bird's, where Larry Bird played college basketball at Indiana State. Um, I have my undergrad degree from Purdue University in health and fitness, and I've got my master's degree from Indiana State in physical education and coaching with the emphasis on strength conditioning. Uh, so my whole educational background is aimed at strength and conditioning and sports performance. Um, I've interned over 3,000 hours before even working an actual job. So I've spent yeah. a lot of time in a lot of weight rooms, uh, a lot of different coaches and facilities. Um, and now I currently own Thirst uh, in Terre Haute with my wife. And we were, we operate a semi-private training facility. Um, and I've also powerlifted at the highest level and been with the lead FTS for uh close to 10 years now i want to say it's been eight um so i've kind of been around for a while um when i was younger i definitely was probably known more for my powerlifting versus my training but what most people don't know is i was personal training and training athletes at that time too just it wasn't as well known because everyone knew me for my powerlifting and yeah those have kind of switched gears to where i put way more emphasis into my my athletes and my business and my wife and um, i don't compete at that much of a high level anymore Um, And I think anybody, when you get into this business, you understand that it does take a lot out of you. And while people think it's awesome that you love training, uh, your time for training actually decreases. If you live in the gym for your job, a lot of times it's the last place you want to be. And most people that compete in powerlifting go to the gym and compete in powerlifting to get away from their everyday lives. And 
you know, I'm fortunate that what I do for a living, I absolutely love every day, but the private sector side of it is usually a lot busier than I think people think it is. Yeah, it's difficult because um, I actually have a full-time job. Um, I work, you know, 40 hours a week for a company in town, a utility provider, and then I come home and then I train a couple hours, train people for a couple hours a few times throughout the week and then have to do my own personal training after I train them or I yep. wake up at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, which I am not a fan of training that early. <laughs> no, no. I feel so weak. Yeah, I did that. So when we started our gym, we were both in that same kind of shenanigans too in that my wife had a full-time job um, working with special needs people and I had a full-time job on top of my personal training job at the time. And then we opened up the gym and it just kind of, we were in that exact same boat with long days, long hours, um, trying to chip away at it. And, you know, we, we eventually got to the point where I went full-time first at the gym and then she would have actually came full-time uh, quicker had she not gotten um, cancer. She got lymphoma oh, and luckily she's doing, she's doing okay. Uh, everything's done. I mean, she, she's in remission now and completely fine. Doctors got her checked out and everything, but um, that kind of slowed things down because we needed the health insurance piece yeah. uh, and her employer's health insurance was going to be anything better than self-employed insurance. So yeah. she, she stuck that out through all of our treatment. Um, but once her treatment and everything was done and we felt that we were financially secure and the clients started to build up, uh, she made that leap. And I think she's actually been pretty close. I think it's actually a year this month that she's been full time. So awesome. um, it's, it's worked really well. And I think, it's kind of that balancing act sometimes that you've got to figure out is it is it worth it to make the leap because you can give more to your business if you have more time and I think a lot of people are kind of reluctant to make that jump but if you take that 40 hours that you're working at your normal job and you genuinely take that 40 hours and dump it into the facility or your training business and you you work at it it will come back but again you know you just got to make that leap of faith yeah. um, so luckily that worked well for us but um, so I totally, totally understand how that is. Yeah, it's a, it's stressful. I love it. Um, most of my work is online, which is great. That's you know that's that's easy because you know you know how it is on online training. Most of the time, you send your program out weekly or monthly, and however many times a week they'll send you a video of their their lift. And there's only so much you can analyze from that video. So the the coaching aspect doesn't take an hour out of your day. It takes a few minutes out right. of your day. Right. And then I can do that on a lunch break or if yeah. I'm having a meal break or something like that, I can do that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's very, it's very time effective. And usually when you work with people like that too, if, if they're reaching out for your services, there's a good chance that they already know how to train to some extent. So it's yes. not like you're having to teach somebody how to do a, a cable pull through where yeah. my, my daily job, that's an exercise that I have to teach a 10 to 18 year old how to do. Yeah. So, you know, that is time intensive and that's why that service costs that much more money and, you know, is important. And that's why I genuinely like it. Um, but the pro, you know, if you're more of a programming person, I think online training is probably more up your business. You got a good uh, knack and eye for specific little details where that can make a big difference where, you know, like my population that I work with in person is 10 to 18 years old. If they get 90% of the cable pull through down for most of the day, that's probably going to be enough, um, especially considering we coach up to 10 athletes in one hour, yeah. all with different training programs. I mean, 
you can't just sit there and nitpick a cable pull through yeah. for 20 minutes. You don't no. have that kind of time. That's right. So, yeah. So you've got a pretty, a fairly large facility where you can host a, a class of 10 lifters. Yes. Yeah. So our, our facility is 7,000 square feet. Um, and we, we basically, there's one business, but it's almost like there's two in one facility. So our first and primary business that we work with is sports performance training and personal training. Mm-hmm. Um, they are one, they're one in the same program. They're built the exact same. Their programs in terms of how we do the programming is very similar. It's obviously all individualized, but the way that they're delivered is all the same. And that's all self-scheduled. Um, through an app that we have. So we don't do any of the scheduling for our clients. They all do it themselves. Um, so we're very hands-off in terms of that. It's merely, they say, hey, they're going to come twice a week or three times a week. They self-schedule. We do their programming. We do their coaching in person. Um, and then, yeah, like we said, that's maximized at 10 per hour. Um, we have anywhere from two to three coaches on the floor at one time. Yeah. So you're, you're usually having to coach multiple athletes at one time. Um, it's actually not that, it's not that difficult. It works really well. Yeah. It's a really smooth system. The other part is we have a regular gym membership on top of that. However, we limit that. So we only have 65 general memberships that we offer, like mm-hmm. period. So, you know, if we, we've had wait lists in the past. We currently don't right now. I think we have like seven or eight spots left. So we got about 50 some uh, power lifters or general uh, memberships. We've priced that to be more expensive than anybody else in the area so we are the most expensive gym membership yeah. however when you walk in you can tell that it is That's designed the, there's for a reason for it yeah, yeah yeah so it's been really nice because we get one obviously our clients and athletes generate all the revenue for all the nice equipment and everything that we want but on top of that the people that are coming in to get a general, general membership are now looking for the planet fitness membership so we know if they've looked for us and they've found us they've already probably done their homework and we don't really have to sell. Like they usually walk in and be like, this is the place for me or no, this probably isn't the place for me. Um, and so that's how the powerlifting side kind of works. Um, I said, it's still the same business, but um, we've tried to do that so that the, the atmosphere and the quality can stay high. It's not overly whelmed. There's tons of space. Uh, we've got two monoliths, the combo racks, two benches, uh, three full power racks, a rig, uh, 25 yards of turf. Like every specialty piece of equipment you can think of. We got 50 barbells. I mean, there's tons of stuff. So the nice thing is if you're one of those people that hates going to the gym and having to wait on equipment, we do not have that problem, yeah. which is super nice. Mine, uh, my gym is about six times smaller than yours. <laughs> Mine is 1,500 square foot, but it's out on my private land. And we live in, out in the country. So the demographic that comes out here is, you know, they're, they're, they're serious about training. And most of the time, like our general population people that come out here, which we don't have many of those, it's people that are not comfortable going to a crowded gym in town. They want to come to a gym that they can feel like they're not going to be bothered. They can get in here, get a workout. And if they need to ask questions, they know I can answer them for them. I will help them with anything that they need help with with no issues whatsoever, but I do have the specialized equipment that anybody it's in powerlifting sports of any sort needs. Cause you know, cause I mean, I've got a mono, I've got two comp benches. I got a power rack. Um, I've got every specialty bar that you can think of for powerlifting. Um, even for, you know, I've got goodness, 
I don't have 50 <laughs> barbells or specialty bars, but I've got a, like every Elite FTS specialty bar. Um, I've got like six regular barbells. I've got squat bars, deadlift bars, bow bars. So I've got everything you would ever need and more. And it, and, and I'm, I'm proud of it. And I, 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 and I don't think I would want to change because I, I, I would struggle with, being able to keep the same atmosphere if I, I guess I got bigger, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yep. And I enjoy it. It's a small, it's a small private sector gym. Uh, most of the time it's I'm here in this town. I am at this moment and I have a f- couple friends that live here that somewhat powerlift, but I am the only active powerlift there there is in this town. So it's, yeah, it, it's yeah. not like our schools don't offer powerlifting. I think the closest school around here that offers powerlifting is the schools in Texas. Yep. Yeah, so, that's, that's, there's nothing like that around here. So yeah, <laughs> there's no schools doing powerlifting around here. But I mean, it's, I wish that they would because I think it's a great sport for kids to get involved in, in school. That gives them a, a better outlet than just, you know, the field sports. Now, as much as I love, like I love baseball. Like that's, I mean, that was my favorite sport growing up and playing. But I think that powerlifting has can teach and has taught a lot of people how to be more. Uh, shoot, I can't even think of the right word, but to be more accepting of people that you're competing with. You know, because field sports, I seemed like it was always like we hated them. They're our rivals type thing. And it seems like in, in powerlifting meets, people are more encouraging of the people they're competing against. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, like I, I've never been around that. Like everywhere else you went, it's like, oh, I hope they mess up, this or that. And you're praising somebody for dropping a ball. and But it's like in, in powerlifting, you're not happy if you beat the guy and he misses the lift. Right. You know, so it's 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 different. But I guess that's an aspect of, it being you on the platform alone versus however many other players on the field. Right. Right. But, um, what is something that you find that helps the clients buy into the product that you're offering them? Uh, from a kid perspective, I think we've done a good job of just building like a, a, a recognizable brand that is, it, it almost makes fitness fun. And yeah, when I was on Mike Robertson podcast a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that as well. And that we have to understand that while we want to help athletes earn scholarships or play at the next level, if that's what they want, that the, the odds are against most of the kids that are going to do that. We obviously are probably going to see kids that have a little bit of an increased edge that we see, because if you're going to seek out our services, you're probably naturally competitive and want to get better. You're, you know, you're internally, motivated mom and dad probably obviously have some kind of resources to be able to afford your services because we're expendable income yeah i'm sorry yeah so i mean it's not like uh you know a kid that's super gifted that doesn't have the resources can't come to us so um i think that by itself uh by having we even create that brand at least in our area that it's fun i think kids realize that it's i don't want to say that it's cool but we've made a brand that's accepting on a large scale for our area. I mean, there's a ton of high schools around us. None of them are like overly massive um, where I went to high school and the two main schools here that are 
um, rivals, they sit around 13 to 1400 students apiece. Oh, but goodness. there's also smaller schools around that are a thousand or 600 yeah. or 800. And we have people that travel over an hour to get to us. And we're a little over an hour away from Indy. I mean, we've had people that are closer to Indy come to us. And I think that's really good what we've done in terms of cultivating that buy-in um, is that it's a, it's a good atmosphere. Um, it's serious, but it's not like screaming in your face serious because we're working with 10 to 18 year olds for the most part. Yeah. Um, so I think I, I don't want to say that we marketed anything special. I think the biggest thing that we did was when I opened the space, there were already two people in town that technically did athletic based training. I think what we did is we, we made, we took advantage of everything that they weren't doing well. We wrote individual programs that are actually in their hands. The scheduling is made, it's done on an app on your phone. So it's flexible. So you can work around practices or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you're in small groups while everyone's got their own training program everyone's in a small group. So let's just bring the price point down so we can capture more people in the market that may have been being priced out of the market. Yeah. And then by the being able to choose how frequently you want to come would dictate your price point a little bit. Um, but also just having space. I mean, like there were 7,000 square feet. The other places were, you know, maybe a little bit bigger than yours, two to 3,000. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about, you know, a lot of room and it gives a college strength and conditioning feel to it at a private sector. So I think that gets a lot of buy-in too, is that kids are like, you know, if they don't have the opportunity to play in college, we're the closest thing that they're going to get to a college experience from a performance standpoint. And so I think kids like that. Parents obviously like that it's safe and effective. And, you know, the people doing the training are experienced. They're not just somebody that's went and grabbed um, a certified personal training degree or certification. So, I mean, me and my wife have done this long enough that we, know what works well and what doesn't yeah so i think a lot of that stuff just combined got a lot of buy-in and then the fact that you know i've i had basically been brainstorming this business for i don't know since i was 21 and we opened it up when i was 30 so you know nine years in the making of all the internships and education and being around people and you know putting time underneath the bar and you know going to watch all these different athletes and being involved at different collegiate levels I think all that just combined, you know, gave us a heads up because most people that go say, Hey, I want to open up a strength and conditioning facility. If they've not done that homework, they're like, I don't even know where to start. Or they fail within several months because they didn't account for the insurance overhead or, you know, you know how much it costs to run your accounting software or like all those hidden costs freaking suck and they eat you alive as a business owner. But, you know, I already had all that planned for. So, yeah. you know, I, I did my due diligence and did my homework. And I think for at least for our business, that's how we set up the success piece. So mm-hmm. um, I, I really just think from a buy-in standpoint, we also let, I mean, we get kids results and kids like to be able to see those results. Yeah. Um, but then like we kind of talked about earlier, just going to watch them do their thing and, and being involved yeah. and caring about them as a person. I mean, I, I take pride that I'm, at least I know for me and my wife and I know our staff members, our interns, maybe not so much. They've only been around for five or six weeks now, but me and my wife and my staff members can name every single kid by first and last name that walks in our facility. And we have 70 some kids. I mean, you know, that takes a lot of work on our end, but Mm -hmm. that shows how involved we are with the kids. And I'm not trying to brag per se, but like if you weren't involved with the kids, you would have a much harder time with that. But because you spend, 
so much time with them in your facility yeah. and you get to know them personally and their pets and what have you and where they go to school mm-hmm. and what sports they do. It makes it easier and kids want that. They want to be accepted. Yeah. So, um, and for their coach to know them that well, there's many kids that have a different basketball coach every year yep. and, you know, we're a, we're a constant in our life. So that, I think that's a, a very good thing. And then the big thing as well that the kids won't admit, but parents will and we will is that when they get strength and conditioning for the most part gives kids confidence. Yes. And when they have confidence, the proof the people that help build that confidence or foster that confidence are people they look up to. Yeah. And so that makes them want to be around that, you know, facility or whatever you have so i mean to me lifting weights is basically for our facility we explain it is it's like an extension of your sport you play basketball you got basketball practice you got shooting lessons whatever we're just part of that however we're on a much more personal scale rather than having to be with 25 kids at practice yeah so i think that's something you know you were saying you didn't want to brag but i think it's something to be proud of that you know who your clients are you know them and you get to know them and you don't own, not only are you expecting them to buy in to what product you're offering them, but you're buying into them as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess it's also too, I mean, it also depends what kind of business you have. I and mean, we have a semi-private training facility, so it, it could get to the point one day where I struggle to remember kids' names just because if we get to a hundred to 110 athletes oh, or yeah. 120 athletes, you know, that's a, that's a lot of kids. That's essentially a PE yeah. based position um, from a school perspective. Um, Cause when you work with people one-on-one chances are they're hiring the individual, you know, they're mm-hmm. hiring Zach or they're hiring Brandon. So you better know your client's name because they <laughs> yeah. hired you yeah. where at least at our facilities point now they're hiring the brand of thirst. And that's mm-hmm. what, that's what I've really tried to it's been very hard for me. I've, I've done a lot better job the past probably four or five months. Uh, my wife's been on me about it, but trying to actually, you know, we have coaches. I need to step away to some degree. Like thirst is not Brandon, you know, thirst is its own thing. Brandon is mm-hmm. his own person. Um, and I think a lot of people come in, I mean, we still get people to come in and just want to work with me and, you know, but how big our facility and how much business we have, you know, when I tell them that, you know, my to, to hire me for an hour is probably going to cost you, but between 125 and $150 yeah. an hour. So like, that's unreal. And I'm like, well, you have to think about, I have 10 athletes in here. Yeah. You've got to be able to cover the cost of 10 athletes yep. for me to think it's justified for you to work with me one-on-one. And like, that's you're right. not going to, you're not going to be able to do that. So um, having a bigger facility and I said, people trying to hire thirst and not me or my wife or what have you, that does make it a little bit harder to try to remember everybody because I'm not there every mm-hmm. waking hour. I used to be, but I'm not anymore. Um, so I do get to see everybody to some extent. I mean, I'm usually in there a couple mornings a week and I'm there every evening to some extent. Um, I usually front load my weeks in terms of how hard I work. I yeah. work a lot harder on Monday and Tuesday, you know, anywhere from 10 to 14 hour days. Um, but by like today, for example, I basically had a half day. I didn't yeah. go in the morning. I went in the afternoon. I did some paperwork stuff and wrote programs and worked with some of the kids a little bit. And then I came home and did more work at home. I didn't yeah. have to be at home at the gym to do everything I needed to do. So I came home uh, a little early. So, I mean, I guess that's another piece of it too, is just, you know, if you, if you have, if someone's hiring Zach and they're hiring an individual, you definitely got to know people a lot more than yes. if you're, working in a business, yeah, there might be a couple people you don't know as well. But again, that's why I think 
me and my wife are proud of that. So it shows that we're still very, very involved, even though there's a business and people behind it. Yeah. And that, and that's something that, um, with me personally, like is with chalk zone powerlifting, they don't think of Jim. They think of this is Zach Fant's gym. And if you yeah. go there, you're like, they're coming to me. They're expecting me to give them a, a, a product yep. of something or help them with something. And what I found, like you're talking about making fitness fun for the kids. Um, that is something that I have found is getting them a lot of buy-in from the kids and they're enjoying themselves. Like give them, you know, I like to call them low risk, high reward movements or activities like, you know, kids like competition, Yep. give them some type of circuit that is not high risk at all and have them race against each other forward or something like that. Like who can do the most air squats, you know, in this time frame, this simple, something simple that will help, you know, aid them on the field or aid them get stronger or faster or more explosive, just small, simple things that allow them to have fun competition. And that has helped. Like I have with doing those type of things has, I felt like I I can see that I get a better buy-in from the clients, like even adults, like the few that come in there and they want to train with me or around me, you know, be friendly with them, you know, don't just, it's, it's, I know it's a business, but you can be friendly with people. You can be nice with them and, you know, you can create relationships with people, even though it's a business aspect. And I know that blurs the line sometimes and it makes things difficult. If anything becomes, uh, I guess you would say toxic or things aren't going right or business kind of goes sideways or whatever, but it's hard for me not to get in like, almost want to say attached to somebody because you, you, I buy into my clients. I buy into what they, what they're working towards, uh, their goals. And that's something that I have to work on is not wanting their goals more than they do. Right. Like I buy into what they want as much as they're buying into it a lot of times and to keep that fun and to keep them focused on that. Um, and that's, a, a, a pretty good hurdle. A lot of times I feel like with, for coaches, yeah, yeah. I we try to we try to let the kids know that we don't like we don't overly push our kids. I don't like to say that we push them. We make sure that what they're doing is um, just barely outside their comfort zone. It's, yeah, it's obtainable. It's obtainable, um, and we want them to know that it's obtainable. It's not yes. like we're gonna have that kid throw another twenty five on each side, no, and we know that not. they really they, they only really need probably another five on each side. Mm-hmm. Um, but but if a kid comes and hey, do you think I can do X Y Z by this period? I know exactly. Like there's a kid that asked me if I think I, we can help them break. Uh, I think in the eleven second mark uh, for his hundred meter dash, and I said, you know, our, our programming is gonna help get you there. You came here in January or maybe late December, something like that. And, you know, so we basically got three good months before season starts. You know, it's not a ton of time, but, you know, depending on how hard you work, how hard you sleep, how well you eat, and, you know, you're doing what the, the track coaches are asking you to do. You know, you really put forth the effort everywhere else, not just with us, but everywhere else. Then I think your, your chances improve. But, again, with a sport like track, I had to tell them, you know, at the end of the day, you want to run your fastest time when it matters the most. Yes. And that's going to be a section for Indiana, the way we do sports, that's going to be sectional. Yeah. So you need to run your best time at sectionals for you to go on to 
the state finals. And, you know, if you, if you don't do that, then it doesn't matter if you ran that time earlier in the year because it didn't matter when it mattered most. So I think when it comes to, to goal setting and pushing kids too, I think understanding realistic time frames and whatever, which the nice thing is they adapt super quickly to uh-huh. a lot of stuff. So, you know, trying to give them something that's realistic, but attainable, but letting them, hey, if you don't make it, it's not the end of the world. You know, unless if you're a senior and your goal is to, you know, go play at the next level, then you're a little bit on time crunch. But if you're a freshman, sophomore, like if you just chip away over time, how much more important that is than if you just come to us for four months and then leave for eight months and come back, then that's a completely different story too. Yeah. I find that um... – like you're talking about, like pushing the kids too hard. I have found I have to pull the reins on the uh, some kids. Like, hey, don't go as hard. I'm at like, uh, there's a couple kids that they think I, I like to go off RPE a lot because I'm I'm sitting there and I'm watching them and I've got a you know a small group and I, I won't have more than four kids working at a time because I really want to be able to pay attention to how they're moving, how they're th- what their body language is telling me, and actually be able to do quite a bit of coaching and it not have a class run too long. Um, a lot of times what I'm finding now is like, you know, I'm saying, Hey, RPE seven on this movement. And they, they understand what that is. And I've explained it to them and they'll hit it and they still want to go heavier because that's what they're used to in the weight room at the high school. And it's like, no, we need to stop. Like you've got some mechanical breakdowns here. You're, you're putting yourself in a compromising position and you're risking injury. There's no sense in us pushing harder when we need to address something and probably go lighter or get away from the movement completely and address what that issue is. So we, when we come back to it later on, that issue or that weakness is now a strength. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't, um, I would say that there's a couple kids that we've got to pull, pull back on just a little bit. Um, mainly more on the high school, like you said. Yeah. And we've also just got to just talk about, you know, well, one the other thing too that's really nice is that since we're doing their training and their programming for them, a lot of times we can adapt exercises to slow kids down too. And I'll also notice that if I need to pull a kid back and I feel like they're just, I don't want to say ignoring me, but they're not, they're not being true to what their program says they should do. Yeah. I love giving kids things where they have to do stuff with tempos yeah. because then it humbles them very quickly. And yeah. like, Hey, if, if you have to do your goblet squat with a three second eccentric and a two second pause and two second concentric, something like that, where they've got to really control uh-huh. the whole rep they're doing, then they get humbled really quickly and they're like, no, I can't use as much weight. And it's like, well, because you were just trying to move as much weight as possible yes. previously, which, you know, I, I can, you know, I admire the effort. Yeah. But especially from a sports performance perspective, load is not everything. Like you can ask any power lifter that can squat 800 pounds. You know, they're not the most athletic person. They're not no. the ones that have the NFL contract. So, You're right. you know, it's not it's not always about load. It's from an athletic perspective, it's how well you move with load, and then yeah. some of it's just gifted talent. You know, you, it doesn't matter how much weight you can lift if you can't catch the baseball. Like, it, yeah, it doesn't that's matter. true. That's so, true. So there is skill acquisition to being an athlete, and all we're trying to do is just make you more athletic yes. in nature. Um, so, that skill you know, work comes the, from their practices of yeah. that sport. Right. We want to help you try like if you have the ability to catch a baseball, for example, we want you to be able to get 
across your body better yes. so that you can get that ball that you're missing or yes. be able to jump a little bit higher or have a little bit better adductor mobility so if you're mm-hmm. first baseman you can stretch out farther and get yeah. that ball so like that's a little bit different and i think people don't think of sports like that especially at the high school level they mm-hmm. think of squat bench press clean maybe deadlift here and there and like you know while that helps a lot of kids create force better it's not necessarily always right. about creating force yeah so. I, I tell the kids like having a big back squat or a bench press or a deadlift, it's not going to make you a better football player or a baseball player. It's going to make you stronger, but it's not necessarily going to make you a better football player or athlete in general. Right. So uh, have you, um, have you ever had kids that have come to you because they're dealing with like violence in school, like bullies or anything like that, and they just want to get stronger or help them build some confidence or anything like that? I don't think we've had any parent come to us and say hey so-and-so is getting negative um negative feelings from school or bullying i do know that we have had kids um where their initial reason they come to us is for increased physical activity and health and and usually they're more introverted in nature yeah um not that that means anything but kids that tend to be a little more introverted can benefit from increased confidence i think at times i think they think people are always looking at them and they're always being judged which is 90 percent of the chances they're not (laughs) but um you know if their self-value thinks hey this is making me feel better i feel more confident then i think that's a good thing and we've had many parents come to say hey well we just wanted to lose a little bit of weight and get them feeling better and improve their health markers we've actually noticed that their confidence is way better their social interactions with their peers is better their grades are going up because you know they can when they're in the classroom they feel more confident sitting next to somebody or you know they ask a girl out on a date for one of the very first times mm-hmm. like, that seems like very trivial stuff on the outside but like to that kid that might be a those are massive deal. achievements for those kids yeah so i i think um while we don't necessarily hear much about the bullying uh which i think is a good thing uh, but i i do know that from a a interpersonal and um, social piece that the the strength and conditioning and training that we're giving the kids and also just the interactions with our coaching staff as well, I think is going a long way outside of the weight room as well. Yeah. That's awesome. That's good. Cause like um, some kids around here, they kind of deal with it and it's like, I'm also a youth leader at, at our church and sometimes you have kids that come to you to the side and you can see usually when a kid is dealing with, like confidence or issues like that, you can kind of tell it. So I've had them come to me to the side a little bit and express that type of stuff, like being bullied and, and not having the confidence or like being an introvert. And I think, you know, from an aspect of kids like being overweight or that kind of stuff, the weight room can help them. Um, I, and I honestly think if they'll get in sports and get in involved with a team sport and, get friends, it'll help them with that kind of aspect of things. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, we'll switch gears. We're going to go to some of these, uh, some of these questions that some of the listeners sent to us. My buddy, Justin, he sent this question. It's his favorite movement to strengthen and add mobility to internal rotation of the hips. Okay. So, um, the first thing when people look at like just hip mobility in general, I think a lot of times, people look at 
muscles versus structure. And I, I will be, be, be guilty of this myself. I definitely know going through undergrad, people would say if a muscle's tight, it needs more foam rolling or more mobility moves or more stretching. Um, but from what we've kind of learned, um, and I've been definitely learned more from Bill Hartman and Mike Robertson on this, is that uh, the structure dictates the mobility or the movements that you have more so than just being tight. So if you're lacking internal rotation to some degree and you're looking to improve your internal rotation, especially at the hips, chances are that you either have a pelvis pushed forward and you're really shoved forward. Most people call that anterior pelvic tilt. But when that um, hip structure gets anteriorly oriented, then you're starting to look at decreased of decreased internal rotation usually on the hip and sometimes you'll find one side is worse than the other which stems back to a lot of pri based principles um so to answer the question short really really quickly it's not necessarily about doing more mobility stuff some mobility stuff will have immediate effects where you'll see some improved movement and added range of motion which is great um however if it doesn't stick long term you notice that just it gets better and goes away gets better and goes away that's probably a structure issue that needs to be addressed. Yeah. So I would say that for many of those people, you're going to want to try to find stuff that obviously improves your internal rotation. And so what you're going to want is you're going to want something that gets you more posterior pelvic tilt. So I, I think a lot of people nowadays are becoming more familiar with the 90-90 hip lift or the PRI 90-90 hip lift where your feet are up on a wall and you basically do an isometric leg curl and it tucks your pelvis underneath, your abs are relaxed, and you get some good quality inhalation, exhalation. That can help posteriorly tilt the pelvis, and many times you can see improved um, internal rotation just from that alone. Some people can. Um, if it's just one side or the other, then you would just do a single leg version yeah. uh, of that. The other option, too, is that how you hold load on certain exercises can bias for internal and external rotation. So if you're doing like a split squat, for example, let's say your left foot's forward and your right foot is back and you happen to be that person that's pushed forward, then you would want to have your front foot elevated. And so what that's going to do is let your pelvis naturally posteriorly tilt on that side. Um, and so then you can hold the load on the opposite side or a contralateral load. So if your left foot's on the box, your load, kettlebell, dumbbell, what have you, is on your right hand, and you're just going to turn your right shoulder towards your left knee just a little bit, mm -hmm. and that's going to help you access more internal rotation on that side, and then you're going to train through that, and then you will probably find that your internal rotation gets a little bit better. So that's kind of okay. a, for people that like to train and see improvements, that's a go-to. We use that with a lot of athletes um, that are very tight in their hips mm -hmm. in general. Um, I have, I've had a lot of more of my powerlifters do it as well, and they've seen some pretty good results with it. So that's one way to do it. So there's some pails and rails that just Google pails, rails, hips, internal rotation. You'll find some good stuff there. That's really good for strengthening the um, end ranges of motion, which can do a lot in terms of helping after you've done mobility stuff. I think people don't think about the strengthening side. like They just think of, hey, I want to do these mobilizations and while it might seem okay and help a little bit, you've not done, any, done anything to strengthen, to help that position stay, and pails and rails for stuff of that stuff works really great if you want to isolate it to a little yeah. bit. Um, I've had pretty good results with that on my left hip. I know particularly 
I mean, the other thing too would be probably just to try to get some increased adductor strength as mm-hmm. well. Uh, people have very weak adductors usually when they have um, hip internal rotation based issues. Usually their erectors are incredibly tight, and the reason that is is because if they're anteriorly oriented or you're pushed forward, what you'll usually find is that the low back is compensating and going through internal rotation itself. So you basically can think of your spine getting pushed forward after creating internal rotation there, and so that's where your body's trying to find internal rotation. So mm-hmm. if you can't do it at the hip, that's, it's, that's technically, quote-unquote, the next joint that it's going to look at to try to get that from. Okay. So if you can do um, things that strengthen your adductors, Copenhagen planks are probably some of the most popular. Um, usually you see those with like your foot on a box, but mm-hmm. a lot of people that have hip internal rotation issues will usually want to start with like just their knee on a box or on a bench. Yeah. And that will usually be challenging enough. Um, I know personally for me, like I, I do not have the strongest adductors in the world. That's definitely a, a place where I can see, personal improvement as well but mm-hmm. whenever i do do copenhagen planks they are usually very challenging um and people that don't have those issues are usually relatively strong there and those are so usually the, make my knees ache a little bit so i try to get my knee closer to the bench or the box yeah 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 i'm kind of the same way and i and so my my theory on that again i don't have any research to back this up but my theory on that is that because the adductors are so weak the longest and um that whole con the ideally the magnus would be the one taking over a lot of that that load mm-hmm. um but if the magnus is weak then the longest is having to do more of its more of that job yeah. considering it doesn't get trained hardly at all you're putting a lot of stress on that one particular muscle of the adductor group um okay. and since it goes down close towards the knee i think that's where people are feeling it because that's what i, I kind of feel and again i just have a theory on that i don't have any heat any research or anything to back me up on that. <laughs> yeah. um, but that's the only thing that I can think of because when I do other adductor based activities, I don't have that problem. So it's the only thing that I can think of of how that would um, potentially be a problem or mm-hmm. why people feel that. All right. Well, thank you for that one. That was a good answer. Yeah. Um, here's one. My personal questions is what is something that you think that power lifters either underprepare or misunderstand in preparation for powerlifting mates? Uh, I think, I think they try to go too hard, too fast, too soon. Yeah. And yeah. kind of, kind of just, you have to almost check all those boxes. Like when people go into a prep, I think they just think, Oh, I'm 12 weeks out. I got to go freaking hard now. And that's, that's a recipe for, if you, if you know, powerlifters, yeah. they go to meet. What do they have problems with? Their wrists feel like shit. Their yep. elbows feel like crap. Their shoulders are beat up. Yep. Their hips are destroyed. And like that's usually from overuse issues. And when you're getting ready for a meet, you're usually not going to skip on stuff unless you absolutely have to. And you're going to push through days that you probably shouldn't push through uh-huh. in most. And an off season day, if it's not feeling there, if it's feeling wonky, you're going to cut it short or, you know, maybe you're going to mix the exercise up a little bit to work around you if your elbows or shoulders are bothering you and you're not in a beat prep and you are doing straight bar work. Yeah. You might use a safety bar instead because it gives your shoulders some relief and your elbow feels fine the next day. Like you can make those adjustments more on the fly and off season because again, you're not having to get on a platform anytime soon. So it doesn't really matter that much. You're just trying to train to get stronger and work around what you got to have to. 
and a meat crab, it's harder to justify that mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, there's not a safety bar in the monolith or in the rack to meet. It's a straight bar. You're going to have to get underneath it. And as much as I love using the safety bar just from like a comfort standpoint, like not having to get my hands behind it, it's a completely different animal in terms of the mechanics and the amount of weight you can lift and all that other kind of stuff. So going too hard, too fast, too soon on stuff usually gets powerlifters on a lot of trouble for yeah. me. And I will say that the, the person that taught me the most, uh, the two people that taught me the most anyways, in terms of like slow cooking your meat preps uh, were Dave Tate and Brian Carroll. Yeah. So I, I, I think they are in terms of like slow cooking stuff, Brian Carroll does that probably better than anybody. Um, and Dave Tate did a good job of trying to just like hammer that home with me, especially mm-hmm. when I was younger. Like I could basically recover from anything. And he's just like, you know, you're doing it fine today, but you know, you got to think about the meat and 11 weeks, 10 weeks. And, you know, is it, is it really yeah. worth it to push it right now? Um, and you almost have to work backwards. And it's that I've done this long enough that when I look at a 12 week prep, I can kind of like just visualize in my head kind of what needs to happen each week to kind of see progress. Yeah. But newer lifters don't necessarily have that understanding quite yet that, you know, you you don't have to be taking massive singles yeah. nine weeks out. Like it, it's not, yeah. it's, it's probably not, it's probably going to harm you more than it's going to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you read textbooks and look at stuff like that, like usually you want to accumulate some volume to be able to peak well first before you just start slapping on heavy singles. So I think um, if people can figure out, Hey, here's the days that I want to take my heaviest squat bench and deadlift. Um, I have some articles on elite FTS for what usually works well for most people. Yeah. There's always exceptions. But if you can figure out what works best for you for those days, like I knew for me, I had to take my heaviest bench press usually about 14 to 18 days out. Uh-huh. That's what worked best for me. Yeah. Um, as a lightweight guy, I could push it closer towards the meat versus, you know, if Julius Maddox, on the other hand, yeah. he, he can't do that. Like, yeah. he just can't. Anybody that's putting 700 pounds in their hands raw to bench yeah. press, it's going to take tremendously longer to recover from that single than I am, regardless of, you know, what I bench and what I weigh just from the sheer magnitudes of the load. So I think, you know, trying to figure that out, you there is some, you will have to experiment with it. And I, I think newer lifters can figure that out better by doing bench only and deadlift only meets. And I wish I would have done that more in my career Uh instead of doing a full power meet after I did a full power meet, maybe six months later, just do a bench only or deadlift only. Just walk in, weigh whatever I weigh, and just try to push the limit of that one particular lift and yeah. figure out how I can peak for that lift better because then I can mix that in with the, yeah, the full power. The meet. rest of, yeah, the yeah. full power meet. And because you can do bench and deadlift independently, you can't do squat independently, but, you know, by the time you put it all together, you could figure out, you could do a sample squat bay, you know, at yeah. home or at the gym or whatnot. But um, I think those, that's, something a lot of people don't think about uh in terms of their their preparation from a mm-hmm. competitive standpoint and i know some people don't like to think about the x's and o's of the programming they might have it. somebody do that for them and you know kind of wing it here and there but i think if you want to compete at the highest level if you can get 10 15 pounds from having your programming dialed in i think that's obviously going to add up over time yeah. um so that that would that would be my opinion anyway I found that throughout the years, of course, I've worked with Christian Anto, and he's 100% that same way, like slow cooking it. And then our preps usually with him, 
ran, you know, around 16 weeks. And that, it helped me with myself because I'm a very anxious person and I'm kind of like a go, 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 go guy. And that didn't make me feel like I was rushed. Like, it's like, okay, I got plenty of time. I can, you know, I can, I've got plenty of time to get as strong as I need to be. But um, you're talking about how long it takes, you know, like what was you said around uh, 14 or 17 or 18 days. I can't remember exactly what you said. Um, how many days to recover for your bench for leading up to a meet? Yeah. Like I found yeah, yeah. around 14 to 16 days is about what I need to recover for uh, my deadlifts leading into a meet. I figured that out. Squats, um, about, you know, two and a half, three weeks is about what I need for my heaviest squat to fully recover for that going into a meet. And bench, I'm not the greatest bencher. Um, I, I'm trying to hit that 400-pound mark. I just it's, it's a lift that I it doesn't click with me that well. Um, it just seems like as soon as I get around 300 pounds, everything feels heavy, and the most I've hit in a meet is 385. So it's like, ah, but one of these days, I'll figure that out and start benching like a man, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think the, I, I think one of the other things people don't think enough about when getting ready for meets, too, is the training they're doing before meat prep. And Dave, Dave Tate calls it basically, you know, prepping for prep, like training yeah. before you need to train. Like it's, it's not, uh, it's not glorified. It's not special. Yeah. Nobody really likes to talk about it all that much, but I mean, he's 100% right on that. Yes. Um, like I, I've not competed full power for, I don't even know how many years now. I think, going from three and a half and I've done, ben- I didn't do bench only until this past August. So that's already been eight, almost eight months, yeah, six months. Um, so like, I would not be able to, um, like just jump in a meet right now. I'm not training that consistently. I live mm-hmm. two or three days a week. Um, I have shoulder issues. Like I got to get ready yep. to just before I can even get ready to do a meet. So, you got to like, get in condition for it. Yeah, I don't think people think enough about that. And mm-hmm. I think people try to um, just think, hey, if I do a longer prep, that will get me ready. And that's not yeah. a terrible way to think about it. I mean, if you're used to doing a 12-week meat prep, then you could say, hey, I would say double that. Do a 24-week, you're talking six months to yeah. get ready for a meat. But if you're not in the shape that you think you need to be in to handle a meat prep, yep. you'd much rather have a longer prep than a shorter one. Yes. Um, you, know, you don't want to rush it too much. And like we said, going too hard, too fast, too long causes too many problems. So, um, in terms of getting in shape for, for me, I think just doing a little bit of low intensity, steady state cardio, nothing crazy walking one or two days a week, yep. or, you know, if you've got an active job, then you kind of have that built in, but then having your, your training have more density in it. I don't think density is talked enough about, uh, in terms of powerlifting training, everyone wants to talk about sets, reps, conjugate this that what you're doing but nobody's talking about the density of the work you're doing yeah you know when after your main work like your density should be pretty high i think you need to keep your rest on the lower end and you gotta understand you're you're not a bodybuilder so it doesn't it doesn't matter you know how much volume you're going to be able to handle you can just cut the time down that you're doing what you're doing accessory work you're going to get a good pump you're going to get what you need from a powerlifting standpoint and then you can get in and get out um because it's Again, you know, you got to take your time on your heavy stuff. I'm a firm believer of that. Like, if you've got five, six, three on squat, like, if you need six minutes between sets to put together your best yep. day squatting, then that's fine. I would much rather you put more time there than drag the two and a half hour training session out just because you're 
talking around and whatever. It's your reverse hyper, your three sets of reverse hyper took you 15 minutes because you're talking. (laughs) Your three sets of reverse hyper probably should have taken you five minutes. You know, and that, that, that that density is going to benefit you when it comes time to have to get ready for a meet. So I agree with that a hundred percent. I feel like, especially power, well, I guess power lifters just, are just lazy most of the time. I call us powerlifting princesses. Um, yeah. Yep. Uh, I feel like in the off season they get lazy and they get way out of shape and they use a prep to get in shape. And it, I don't yeah. think that's smart at all. They're, and your chance for injury is so much higher. Yes. Yep. I agree. Uh, let me think here. What's the last, I got one more question for you before you, we get off here. We're getting close to an hour. And I ask this for all, every guest that I have, I ask a simple question. Um, it's kind of a humorous one. It's what would you eat? What would be the, the one food that you would pick to eat for the rest of your life if you were stranded on an island? Oh, man. Uh, like part of me wants to pick a, a protein-based food because I know <laughs> the value of that. And another part of me wants to pick like just something really trashy um i'll be i'll be honest my wife makes this stuff called baked oatmeal and it is out out of this world Um, i don't i don't i don't have it that much she she, it's not like something we make all the time one because it's not healthy for you i mean the oatmeal and it's good but there's a ton of brown sugar cinnamon butter um stuff like that and it 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 doesn't take super long to make but i mean you obviously have to make it it's not like something you have every morning yeah. or afternoon for lunch or whatnot. And I guess I don't have it all that much. I appreciate it quite a bit. Yeah. So, um, and I, I don't know, I've not found anything else like it, but like if I go to like a restaurant or a store, or like a, a box mix, like it's not something that I've found really anywhere. Mm-hmm. I don't know where she found it. I'd have to ask her where she got it from. Yeah. Um, but she made that for me one time when we were dating and now every time she makes it, I mean, I've, I put it down. It's <laughs> delicious. So yeah. I, I think if I had, I mean, as much as I would love to say, and I guess too, if I think about it, you know, if I, if I was stranded on an Island, I would cross my fingers. I could figure out a way to fish some meat yeah. or something like that, where yeah. baked oatmeal ain't coming out of the ocean <laughs> or anything. So I think I'll go with that. Yeah. Well, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, a, a good answer on that one, but um, it's the first time I've had somebody say something about oatmeal. Usually it's steak or pizza or hamburgers. Yeah, well, the thing is, it, it doesn't taste like just oatmeal. Like, it's like a, it's it's weird. Like, that's butter, cinnamon, brown sugar. It's kind of like a, it almost has like a. A cobbler? A cinnamon, uh, yeah, cinnamon roll kind of flavor to it. I mean, it, it, you can cut it like a brownie. So you can, like, actually hold it and eat it as long as it's kind of chilled off a little bit. Yeah. But it's warm and, mm. and, I don't know, it's just, yeah, it's, it's almost like a dessert for breakfast. I'm going to have my wife look that stuff up and make it. I'm sure it's on Google somewhere. I'm sure there's something, something, something similar anyway. That's awesome. Um, so if anybody wanted to get a hold of you, do you do any type of online coaching or anything like that? Yes, I do. So I do online programming. Um, and I think I've got like 20 some people right now. I cap it at 25. So I'm not far away from being full. Um, I primarily work with powerlifters, but I do have some people that do, um, online like sports performance and I have some people that just do general like hypertrophy training so I've, I've got a good array of people which is kind of nice um, and then I also do um, subscription-based programming through Train Heroic so I've yeah. got something pretty much for every budget so if somebody wants to hire me one-on-one to meet perhaps I'll do that but if you're just looking for decent training and don't want to think about what you're doing and have it actually go through training cycles 
Um, I do that as well through Train Heroic. Um, and then people can um, also find all my content on Elite FTS as well. I'm actually back writing for them a little bit. I submitted an article for Janu- in January. I'm submitting one not this weekend, but uh, next weekend for February. So um, I'll have, I have content for them too. Okay, cool. I actually um, got to write an article for them, Elite FTS. You say you have yet to? I have. I got to. I got. I wrote yeah, one. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's called. It's awesome. called technique over aggression. Um, I, when I totaled my first elite total, Christian asked me. Christian Anto asked me if I would write an article, and I guess basically a story over my experience and what I learned about achieving my elite total at two twenty. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and that was, and it got it, they. I guess they, I don't know if you call it published or whatever you would call it, but they put it on their website last year. Okay. Yep. Yep. That was, that was probably my, that is actually my proudest moment in powerlifting, even though like even more so than my elite total. Yeah. It's, it's not easy to write for them. They, they put out good content. They've actually scaled back a lot. Now there was a while there where they were putting out like, I don't know, probably like two articles a day for maybe a year or two. And so like, I know when they were doing that, I don't say they were like hounding me for articles, but like, they're like, Hey, if you can submit something every month, like we could definitely use it because of how much content we're putting out. And I, I think they've kind of decided to push more on the uh, the quality versus the quantity. Yeah, now. I don't know if yeah. I don't know if COVID like had anything to do with that, or if they just decided to make a different turn. And then you know, mm-hmm. hey, let's just try to upscale the because they also don't have the the training logs anymore either. So yeah. the training you know, logs are kind of training... cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I wish they would have kept that personally, but. Um, I talked to Dave about it and I, it's a, it's a business decision. I totally oh, get yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the bandwidth that it takes to have all that content on a website. Yeah. And again, all their content's free. So, um, you know, the, it, it makes sense from a financial perspective. Yeah, and really like does. I said, I mean, if anybody does want to write for them, like you literally just submit it and it's one way to know that what you're putting out, if it's, if it's quality, because they're not going to accept it if it's, that's if right. it's trash. That's right. So, and I, I think that's a good thing for writers. If, if it is getting published and you're trying to use that to either help market or build your brand or, you know, get more recognition, um, build, build your online presence. I mean, you want somebody that's actually putting out good quality yes. stuff, not somebody that's publishing whatever comes in the email yes, inbox. Sir. So I think that's a good thing. Yes, sir. Well, man, I am completely honored that you would do this for me and I appreciate you. Absolutely, man. Yeah. It's been great to talk and, uh, I know we still have yet to meet yet in person, but I'm sure if you ever go up to Anto's or if you're ever up in the Indiana region, whatever you come up here for, but yes, absolutely, um, you're definitely always welcome. So I have to come check out your gym. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, I, I would definitely let Anto know too, especially if you work with them and you guys yeah. are hunting for a meet. I, I can already tell you we'll have one in the fall. Okay. It'll probably be, it'll probably be September, but all right. That works um, pretty good. Yep. All right, man. I appreciate it, and thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot, Zach. I appreciate it, man. All right, see you.